This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hey everyone, it's Major Garrett and welcome to our new podcast. Did you know we have a new feed completely separate from the takeout as well? Please just search Debriefing the Briefing. Click subscribe and then if you can, and we'd really love this, drop us a rating and or a review. Pretty soon, you'll have to be subscribed to the new feed if you want to hear new episodes of debriefing the briefing. Thank you, and now let's start the show. Our most striking observation to date is the powerful effect that solar light appears to have on killing the virus. We do believe by early summer we could be in a much better place as a nation. So a lot of people have been talking about summer. Maybe this is one of the reasons. We've, uh, I once mentioned that maybe it does go away with heat and light. Is it dangerous for you to make people think they would be safe by going outside in the heat? Here we go. The new, the new headline is Trump asks people to go outside. That's dangerous. Here we go. Same old group. Uh, you ready? I hope people enjoy the sun. From CBS Audio, this is Debriefing the Briefing. Here's CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Hello from Washington and welcome to Debriefing the Briefing, a summary of the daily White House Coronavirus Task Force Briefing. April 23rd, one hour and four minutes, the 48th briefing of its kind. In his opening remarks, President Trump said the nation was, quote, very close to a vaccine for COVID-19, but when asked, would not point to a specific date and acknowledged that significant and time-consuming testing of any vaccine would be required before it could be applicable. There was also a conversation set in motion by a gentleman named Bill Bryant, a senior official at the Department of Homeland Security, not a scientist, but someone who's been involved in federal government service for many years at the Department of Defense and Department of Energy. He said that research at the Department of Homeland Security on COVID-19 suggested through what he called emerging studies that direct sunlight or bleach or alcohol degraded the virus. President Trump, as a suggestion at later point in the briefing, said that UV rays might be tested to quote-unquote hit the body or that possibly injecting alcohol or bleach might be a treatment in the future. Again, he said these were only suggestions. And the president under questioning also denied that he has abandoned references to hydroxychloroquine, but our records indicate that the last time the president on his own mentioned hydroxychloroquine in the context of COVID-19 treatment was on April 13th. I want to bring in CBS News White House correspondent Weijia Jang to discuss the briefing. She was a participant in it. And Weijia, I want to first start off with a question that you asked Bill Bryant about this idea that heat or humidity might be significant in dealing with COVID-19. Let's play that. Can you explain why some hot spots we've seen in the U.S. are hot and humid, like New Orleans, for example? 
let me explain, if, if you look at the coronavirus as a chain with many links, what we've done through our study is we've identified some of the weak links in that chain. We identified that heat and humidity is a weakness in that chain. We've identified that sunlight, solar light, UV rays is a weakness in that chain. That doesn't take away the other activities, the guidance from the White House, the guidance from the CDC and others on the actions and steps that people need to take to protect themselves. So, Ouija, it sounded to those of us watching, and you were in the room, that this is an emerging bit of science, but that no one should change their behavior, but maybe in the summer we might know more. Exactly. This is an emerging study, and I think it's important to to emphasize that it is not conclusive. Um, but of course, President Trump, as he has said before, wants to offer glimmers of hope when he can. And so, you know, he brought out Mr. Bryant and was excited, um, clearly, to have this new information out there that UV uh, rays could be powerful to at least decrease the power of the virus and kill off the time that it can live. But, you know, I think uh, Mr. Bryan wanted to walk a, a fine line and make sure people understood that doesn't mean in the warmer months and here in D.C. in the more humid months, that means we should all just go outside and, uh, you know, forget the things that we've been doing with regard to social distancing, wearing masks, et cetera, um, to protect ourselves. So I think, you know, it, it is a potentially positive development, but it's just too early in the study to say it's going to make a substantial difference. And with this virus, we are learning as we go, and it may prove to be helpful and instructive in the summer, but it was interesting that the president brought it to such a visible point when, as Bill Bryan said, this is just emerging information. Right. And the president later became sensitive about it, too, because a reporter asked, is it irresponsible for you to give people this false hope that in the summer months they can behave perhaps in a different way? And that's when uh, the president began what would be an, an extended conversation about his latest um, grievances with the media. And, and he says, here we go. You know, I'm going to get the blame for telling people to go outside. Look, I'm just saying it's a suggestion. Now, all that said, I can say, because I was sitting right in the front row, that when this conversation started, again, he was very happy about it. He was, um, you know, he wanted people to hear that there is something to look forward to in the coming months. And during the briefing, Ouija, you also asked the president about Dr. Anthony Fauci with the National Institutes of Health and an interview he gave Time Magazine. Give our audience a little bit of background on that, and then we'll play the clip. Sure. So Dr. Fauci, uh, in a pretty extended interview with Time Magazine, was very frank and said that the U.S. is not in a situation where we can say we are exactly where we want to be when it comes to testing. He was specific in saying we not only need more testing capacity, but we need more tests. We need more supplies. And this, of course, kind of takes a wrecking ball to everything President Trump has been telling uh, the American public for several days now. And he uses language uh, like tremendous and we have millions and millions and we're doing more testing than any other country and so it flies in the face of what the president is saying um, and that's why I wanted to press him about it. And there are aspects of what the president says that are statistically true in terms of numbers but ev most people and including Dr. Fauci have pointed out that 
A, capacity is not the only metric. The ability to do and process tests is another metric. And it was interesting, Ouija, during the briefing itself, Vice President Mike Pence talked about extra steps that the federal government was taking in certain states to increase their ability to actually conduct tests in coming days, essentially conceding the point that governors have made in certain states, that capacity is not the issue, capability and the processing of tests is the key metric, and there's more assistance the federal government could provide. But let's play that interaction you had on this topic. Do Fauci that we're just not there uh, yet? No, I don't agree with him on that. No, I think we're doing a great job on testing. I don't agree. If he said that, I don't agree with him. And by this time of the briefing, the president would, of course, known, have been notified about this. But that's some distance between himself and Dr. Fauci. True? Of course. And Dr. Fauci was not there today, by the way. And we should point out that um, this comes after a day that uh, Dr. Fauci contradicted President Trump from the podium. Um, You know, yesterday, the president wanted to make very clear that there was a possibility that the coronavirus would not return in the fall. Moments later, Dr. Fauci stood in that same place and said, I am confident it will be here. The question is how we respond to it. Um, And so today he wasn't there. But I think uh, as we were talking about earlier, it's so important to draw that distinction between testing capacity and implementation because governors have said, look, even if we have the potential to do it, we need the goods to carry it out. And that's why the vice president was talking about ways that they are ordering the supply chain, that they're trying to get states those pieces of equipment that are critical to actually carry out the tests. And so when you hear Mr. Trump talking about the capacity and how much of it we have, that's great. That's actually a a positive development that he should talk about. But now let's talk about how we can make it happen, you know, in practice. But the other really interesting part of this major is that the president continues to spar with his top health officials, including Dr. Fauci in this case. And that leaves a very confused public because he has promised that he would listen to the expert advice, that he would consult with you know people who have committed their lives to doing this research. But oftentimes it seems like he only listens to those he agrees with. And this may just be another example of that because you heard him. He flat out said, I don't agree with Dr. Fauci when he says there's not enough testing. And we've also seen Ouija in this process where there's this tension where the president disagrees, but over time comes to agree. He wanted to, we all remember, reopen the country by Easter and then Quite clearly, there were tremendous conversations with his public health officials, and the president acknowledged, no, that's not practical. And then he said, well, I really wasn't talking about that in literal terms. It was more aspirational. But clearly, his tone and the directional indication he was giving the country changed after having these intense conversations with his public health officials. One of the things that strikes me, paying very close attention, as we do on this program, Every single day to the briefing is how the president is evolving on certain subjects in full public view. Absolutely. And in testing, he was not as confident as I've heard him in recent days, even though he continued to say that we are on top of it. And I think because he understands at the core of this is 
his other goal, which is reopening the country in a safe way. And in order to do that, in order to give people the peace of mind to get back to some sort of normalcy, you have to have widespread testing and you have to be able to track the virus and have confidence that if you go out there to work, to school, to stimulate the economy, you're going to be protected. And so looking at that bigger goal, um, he has to concede that you know, the, if the fact is you need more things to get the test done, that's a fact. And so um, we'll have to see in the coming days what he does differently. He says that there are more testing advancements and more equipments that he will roll out in the next two weeks. Um, and so that could change too. And perhaps we'll see him dial back that confidence a little bit because those around him are uh, acknowledging that they do have more work to do. And speaking of this evolution in full public view, uh, three different occasions this week, the president was asked about Georgia and Republican Governor Brian Kemp and his signal to businesses in Georgia, specifically tattoo parlors, nail salons, barbershops, gyms, bowling alleys, that they can reopen as early as the end of this week. The first time the president was asked about that, He had no comment. Neither did the Coronavirus Task Force coordinator, Dr. Deborah Burks. The second time he was asked, the president said he disagreed. The third time he was asked about it was at the April 23rd briefing. Let's take a listen to a bit of that. I wasn't happy with Brian Kemp. I wasn't at all happy because... And I could have done something about it if I wanted to, but I'm saying let the governors do it. But I wasn't happy with Brian Kemp. Spas... Beauty parlors, tattoo parlors. Uh, no, uh, that's that. And by the way, I want them to open. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. I want them to open. And I want them to open as soon as possible. And I want the state to open. But I wasn't happy with Brian Kemp. I can only imagine how difficult it is for each and every governor across the country to process this as it plays out in full public view. Sure. I mean, you know, on the one hand, you have President Trump saying, I give full authority to uh, the governors, which, by the way, was also an evolution of thinking, because you'll very much remember when he said that he had the absolute power to make these decisions. Um, And on the other hand, you know, you have the president criticizing these decisions very publicly. But I think the other thing. thread to, to, to chase here is why he's not doing anything about it if he feels so passionately. Uh, why is he just saying that he doesn't like it? You know, that does carry a lot of weight, of course. It's the president criticizing a governor, but he has said himself that he would step in and intervene if, um, you know, he felt like he had to. Well, you have public health experts saying that by opening too soon, you could be putting lives at risk. So if that doesn't meet the bar, what does? And that's something that the president did not answer tonight. He just repeated that he didn't like Governor Kemp's decision, but did not say whether he, uh, you know, instructed him to rethink it, whether he should uh, reverse his decision. And so I think that is what matters, is whether the president's words carry any weight when it comes to the governor's taking actions. With a front row seat at the April 23rd White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing, that's Ouija Jang, CBS News White House correspondent. I thank her very much. That is all for this episode of CBS Audio's Debriefing the Briefing. Until next time, I'm Major Garrett. 
in Washington. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.